This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat Napsock by myself today, but here with your calls through the Anchor app as we discuss the world of ice and fire. That includes HBO's Game of Thrones, the books, the maps, the coloring books, the pop-up books, the collector trading card sets, the figures, George R.R. Martin's hats, and, of course, the upcoming House of the Dragon, which we know won't be around for a couple years, but that doesn't mean we're not going to get you ready for it. We're not going to look ahead to it. I mean, I will admit I thought it was going to come in 2021. HBO, what'd you do to me? But a lot to talk about because we love this wonderful world of ice and fire. We always like to catch up with a little bit of uh, news if it's available. There was an interesting little tidbit out there. You know, that's what that's what the Game of Thrones news is about these days. Just little pieces, little nuggets and interesting things. And this one I'm reading from Esquire. Some of you may have seen this. And of course, this goes... This goes around the circles, and it goes with, you know, I'm not casting stones. Any, uh, the writer of this article that I'm reading, Adrian Westenfeld, but, you know, she probably didn't even come up with this title. But this is the title of the article. George R. R. Martin just gave hope to Game of Thrones fans who want a better ending. Ugh. Sigh. Eye roll for me. But... That's not to take away from the article again. A lot of times, a lot of times the titles aren't by the articles themselves. Though, uh, the article does start with, if you're a bitter Game of Thrones fan, still bitter about the ending of the series, rejoice. There may be hope. Yep. And look, hey, there are people in that category. So she's uh, not lying there. She's not being over, overly aggressive or bitter herself. That's some truth out there. But let's dig into what this said. Martin is talking about the end of his story. A series he's been working on, you know, as it points out, the article points out, since the 1970s, kind of bonkers, kind of bonkers. And what, 96, the first book comes out, so you're a lot of time, uh, you know, I'm sure he wasn't working on all the time, little napkin sketches here and there, but it's still going, and we're still waiting. The winds of winter and a dream of spring. Please, George, George, do it, finish them. I want to see the ending that you have planned, but it's really interesting. And here's what Martin said. Reading from the article, this was a, originally an interview with a German newspaper, Welt. So if you want to find the uh, original article, the source of it there, look up Welt. People know an ending, but not the ending, Martin said. The makers of the TV show had overtaken me, which I didn't expect. I think that, I think that's fair for George to say that he didn't expect. He's talked about how the celebrity created around him and of him and what he became after the show came out. I, I probably, I, I think it's fair to say that he didn't expect that. Again, this is a guy who left 
Hollywood. This is a guy who lives out in New Mexico. This is, I'm sure, a, a guy that loves the attention and the perks. I've seen him walk into parties. Treated like royalty, treated like a, a king of it all. I'm sure that on some level he enjoys that. But I do believe him when he says, I just, yeah, I just want to write and blog about the NFL and have chips and salsa out here in New Mexico. I totally believe that. So the show becomes what it is and it probably a bit distracting than other projects. Is He's also working with the show a little bit during the first few seasons. So I still don't fight him on that. But there's some level of me that's like, you also know TV. Yeah, maybe you know. Maybe you didn't think the show would be this successful, but you know it enough. You worked on a lot of projects in Hollywood. You know that this this could have worked, and if it did, it was going to move past you, and you still took your time. It isn't me throwing rocks at George. It's type of right. Like, take your time. You've earned your time. The jokes of finish it, George. You know, finish it when you feel it's right. We want to rather get it right. It's very important when you're creating things. I don't like the making movies and TV shows to release dates that are set years sometimes in advance of the actual production of the project. George has got his time. He's earned his time again. He talked about and has talked about things in the past about the uh, season eight being not completely faithful. The article goes in a bit on that, but. The article points out things from specifically Isaac Hempstead Wright, uh, Brand Stark, Brand Stark himself, in the in the behind the scenes HBO docs uh, t- talks about. Dan and Dave said there was two things from George: the Hodor revelation, which George has already said when it happened. Hey, great on the show. I'm paraphrasing, but great on the show. Mine's a little different, same but different, of course. And and uh, then uh, Isaac Hempstead Wright adds like you know, and and the fact that Brand would be king, which. I think we've always said that seems like a very George choice. This is not about the journey of Daenerys and Jon Snow to the throne. It's, it, it's about what the journey does to everyone else around it and the one person who sees past it or sees around it or through it and doesn't necessarily want it but feels he's probably the best choice based on him knowing the history and possibly even the future. Bran makes a good king in a way. It's a still a weird choice, still a weird choice for a lot of people. But I, I've always said I think I could see that coming from George. So that's what is is out there on the record. Does did George change and put on our tinfoil hats? Did George change his mind? Uh, you know, we have that uh, starting about season four. You started to see him back away from the show a little bit. And even that's a bit of a conspiracy theory. I've never spoken with George about this. It just seems like his little hey, the Cersei Jim Jamie Lannister. Sex scene at Joffrey's body, uh, done a little different in the books. Ah, I'm going to start backing away. I'm going to start backing away. And season four is when the show really start, started to have have to go its own path. Though I argue the show, you know, has been doing that from episode one. It just was uh, a little bit more, had less content to adapt. So it seemed a little bit more beat for beat season one. Season two is very different at times. Very different. George says this. I am working in a very different medium than David and Dan. Never forget, they had six hours for this final season. I expect these last two books of mine will fill 3,000 manuscript pages between them before I'm done. If more pages and chapters and scenes are needed, I'll add them. And, of course, the butterfly effect will be at work as well. Those who follow this not-a-blog will know that I've been talking about that since season one again. 
Season one, even then, started to depart. There are characters who never made it onto the screen at all and others who died in the show but still live in the books. So if nothing else, the readers readers will learn what happened to Jane Poole, Lady Stoneheart, Penny and her pig, ah, yeah, the shave paint, Arya Martell, Dark Star, Victorian, Victorian Greyjoy, Sir Garland the Galant, Garland the Galant, Aegon the Six, and a myriad of other characters, both great and small, that viewers of the show never had a chance to meet. And yes, there'll be unicorns, sort of. He's been talking about that unicorn thing. So that's it. That's kind of the story. It's kind of the article. I, you know, I, I, I when I read this, my, my initial thought, I, I had a little bit of conspiracy theory stuff going through, you know, of this. Uh, George maybe started to pull back. I've always thought we wouldn't get the next book to the show's done. That maybe George saw what was happening and said, ah, I can correct some mistakes. Because he admits he writes himself into corners. He introduces themes and characters and plot threads and kind of lets uh, lets them go their natural way. And it takes him to different areas where he didn't expect. So he has that out. If he said, oh, I'm, I, I, you know, it turns out Baelish is the king. He he can act like that's what he always had planned, but there's also precedent to to believe that he changed that along the way because the story dictated it. This is going to be used against the show. This is going to absolutely absolutely be used against season eight. This title of the article already does use use it against the show, uh, and I am very much against that kind of stuff. We see a lot in Star Wars. One bit of news spun. A lot of vim and vigor and bitterness and anger put into that article and used against the property that has some, you know, controversial decisions about it and, and opinions about it. I, I again, I don't think necessarily George is doing that and, and reading this exact quote. He's just stating the truth. Even if it's exactly the same, case in point, the Hodor rev- revelation. I imagine in the book it is going to be hold the door. But we already know. Hordor's actual names different in the books, similar but different. Uh, and even though in the books he'll probably still say hold the door, it will play out a lot different because it's a different medium. He can, he can do that. So you might even get the perspective you want on Daenerys Targaryen's fall. You might get a little bit more into the head of Jon Snow in that final scene. The final shot of John walking away. You're going to get more about, even if it's beat for beat the same, you know what I mean? So I'm not too worried about this. In fact, I'm excited about this because the show is done. We're looking back. We're going to look back here today. We've been doing these wonderful what ifs, but the books are next on the horizon. I think we'll probably get wins winner before house of the dragon. Uh, Now, now more than ever. But we don't know that. George is still going. Is he working on both at the same time? And I, you know, all those all those conspiracy theories. Uh, where's uh, <laughs> where's the uh, who what, what what actors at, at conventions are going to you know slip quote unquote slip and say the truth, which we, we know is per, in some right pretty crazy. George has has the books finished. He made a secret handshake deal with HBO. Who knows. Maybe he did. Some conspiracy theories out there are pretty wild. You want to talk about who who link, leaked Star Wars scripts? I got conspiracy theories for you, too. So I'm excited. I'm choosing to be excited. Even if George goes an entire different direction, it is his story to do so. And I'm going to be curious about that. And I'll be able to separate the two properties. There is 
a lot of weird crossover between the books and the shows. They're so intertwined. That's why it's easy. And I felt I did that too, especially early on. It's easy to just mesh them all together. It's the histories. Right now, when you talk about a lot of the histories of Game of Thrones, HBO's Game of Thrones, you're using histories established and explained by George R. R. Martin in his world. And I think they're going to be the same because a lot of people involved with the show, including the creators, love George's world. And why would you change? There's no need to change a lot of the big strokes and the broad strokes of history. No need to change the details. But because they flip things, again, even just the ages of the characters in the show being aged up because you, you had to. You could not have a 13-year-old Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones on TV at HBO. It would be a very different show. You had to age her up, and that changes history, changes the dates. It is that butterfly effect. So even though they're very much all intertwined, they're very much all intertwined, I think it's time to really start opening up my heart to the idea that these are two different properties. One of my favorite novels of all time, High Fidelity. One of my favorite movies of all time, High Fidelity. They meet across in the middle a lot, but they're very different. Different cities, different surnames, little plot threads, very different. And I love them both equally. I love these properties both Equally, it is one crazy world to me, but two different ways to tell the story. Speaking of telling stories, you guys got some stories here, and we're going to go to the call. If you uh, want to leave a call here for Casterly Talk, all you have to do is go to the Anchor app, leave a quick message. You got about 59 seconds, and here's an example, a good example of what to do. This is Ashton from Atlanta calling again. I was just sitting here a little bit of doobie action and watching Game of Thrones episode two, season seven. And um, when the Lady Melisandre comes in to Dragonstone and tells Daenerys, hey, I think you should summon Jon Snow from the north, uh, all that good stuff. He's a part of the prophecy. I think that it would have been cool if she would have uh, pulled a Star Wars and said, hey, there's another um, and she knew of John's true heritage um, before John even knew. And that would have thrown a little bit of twist in there where I think that it would have been an easier pill to digest of uh, Danny, uh, you know, letting her mind play tricks on her and she'd go down a dark path and John having to kill her in the end. But I just thought that was a pretty cool thought and, you know, how it would have changed, uh, you know, uh, the perspective on what's going on. All right, Ken. That's great. First of all, Ashton, you keep you keep doing the doobie action and calling in with those great thoughts. This is great. So we've been talking, and and quite frankly, I've been grumpy about a lot of the reception reception of Daenerys Targaryen's story and arc, and a lot of that again. I, I've wanted to a little bit move past that because I've been talking about that here and on other shows of just kind of you know me getting a little grumpy over people taking I guess too much to heart, which is not a bad thing, just not letting it ruin your overall experience with the show. But that's not what Ashton's talking about here. He's got a great idea here that I could see and, and how maybe it would have helped some people accept what Danny became and what John had to do. And it involves one of my favorite characters, Melisandre. She knows something. We know going back to season five. I mean, you could probably see it from the beginning, but she first lays eyes on John. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. And she, and she's been around for 400 years, you know? She's got some insight. She's got some predictions. I really 
do like this idea, Ashton, that that she presents Danny with a vague, not specific, just a vague prophecy. You need to call John down there. You know, there's another one. Another what? Another one. You might be thinking you're the chosen queen, prince that was promised. I thought it was Stannis. I was wrong. There's another. It just immediately setting up the tension. And then Danny starts falling for John in spite of that. Because right now she sees John as 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 he is, another ruler, a threat, someone she needs to get in line. She's had a lot of problems with the men in this land. So, hey, snap two, bend the knee. And that works. And that works for me. It works for me a lot. As she does find out, she does discover who he is at some point, obviously, and it creates the attention. The, 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 the attention. But to throw that in of just like going in right from the beginning, which might fuel, it might best help the beginning of the story, as Ashton said, season seven, uh, episode two, we're, we're talking about specifically, just right from the beginning. An immediate conflict. I can get behind that. I like that idea. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't partake in, in, in doobie action, but Ashton does, and maybe that's leading into some great insight. So I love that. And anything to get more Melisandre in it, a little more Melisandre scenes, I can dig it. All right. Thank you, Ashton. Uh, let's go to one more quick call here before we take a break. This is from our good friend, Eric Monroe. Hey, Kenny Casterly Talk. So my question this week, what is an opinion, something you've evolved with? It could be a character, a storyline, or a season, something like that where you have changed your mind. And for me, I got to tell you, it's Game of Thrones season three. When it first aired, I liked it. I liked it a lot, but I didn't love it as much as season one and two. And in subsequent rewatches, I was kind of the same. Eh, it's not my favorite season, but I just finished my re I'm doing my rewatch now and finished season three. And I got to tell you, I really liked it this time. I really enjoyed it. So I think my opinion on season three really has changed. So for you and anyone else that might be on the panel this week, uh, which something, an opinion of yours you've changed. All right, Eric, you just got me on the panel today, but this is a great question. Great idea here. What's changed. I could go to overall seasons. I've talked about how I think coming out of season two, I was like, ah, they didn't, they didn't. I like, oh, that was a great season, but Battle of Blackwater Bay is great, but eh, it wasn't great as, as season one. And now two might be my favorite season. One is a perfect season on its own. It's its own kind of thing. It's the best first season of television out there, I think. Um, but two surpasses it in other ways for me. That decision came a little bit later when you have this sense of time and perspective. And that's why we also got to take time with these properties and these shows and these episodes and these character arcs and these decisions that creators make. But the other way, season three, like Eric, I love season three. I mean, it's Red Wedding. It's a big season. Season three is like, ooh, this is, this is, this is a thing. And then upon review, it's now probably one of my least favorite seasons. It still remains so. Big things in it. One thing I definitely have changed my mind on is in season four, the mutineer arc. Now I am a, uh, I am a definitely a fan of the Night's Watch, as you know. I am uh, definitely a fan of of Jorah Mormont and Gior Mormont. So when Jor Mormont is killed by the mutineers in, in episode uh, was episode four or so of season three, uh, it's a little heartbreaking for me. It's tough, but hey, it's part of the story, right? 
So when they went back in season four to the mutineers, I didn't like it as much. I didn't get what John was doing. I got why on paper. John's like, oh, crap, Mance is coming down, and these mutineers, if they run into Mance and his people, are going to be like, hey, we're Night's Watch people. The Night's Watch has got, like, you know, ten people there. Take them, attack them now. It's, it, it, that makes a lot of sense, it, 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 and, 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 and they handled it well. I just, for some I just didn't like it. I felt it was, it just was this weird, odd plot. It just, it wrapped up the mutineers thing in a weird way. Do we even need to go back? Then it creates this Bran and John moment of them almost, you know, running into each other, which I thought was, I don't know, maybe I thought it was a little cheap at the time, like, ah, playing my emotions. And I, I didn't like it. And it was also a time where the show really departed from the books. And that's where I dig into that a little bit. Season four was the first episode in which I had completed everything, studied every book, read every book, read every map, was just digesting the history of Westeros and Essos so much. And in season four, because it had some dramatic changes, it was the first time I kind of went like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if they're getting it right. Again, season two, dramatically different. We talk all the time here. I'm rolling my eyes at myself. We talk all the time here of Arya and Tywin. And that stuff's show only, you know, so... It, it was not fair of me to, to, to attack a lot of season four because it's different from the books. Oh, they're going outside the books. They already were. There again, that butterfly effect. But season four, we get to see the Night King. Season four, I think I go back and I like a lot of season four more than I did. Oberyn from start to finish is the best. This is just great. A lot of the other things I like, Arya and the Hound and everything. But the, the Mutineer storyline, I actually end up liking a little bit more. And now, especially all things considered... This moment where Bran sees John, and it's so close, he's almost there, but he still has to go on, and he knows he has to go on. It has more weight to me. I just like it more now. It just took time, a little bit of deep breaths, and I got to the point where I could get get on board for what they presented there. So, Eric, that's great. Uh, I, I'm I'm not done with that question. I think we'll come back to that and try to see what else uh, what else you could change your mind on. Good or bad, but I like going, starting out having a, a bad or negative thought about something and then learning, taking that time, having other things in the show, go back and add new context to that. I think that's fun. I think that's part of what we have to do in watching all these shows and movie, movies and books and all that stuff. Don't lock yourself in. The story's going to change. The story's going to go on. The story's going to grow. And we're going to go on here, transition. We'll be back on the other side of this break. It's Casterly Talk. Ken Apsack got a couple more calls talking about House of the Dragon after this. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back here in Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napstock. I'm here with you. And you're here with me. We got some phone calls coming in here. 
you want to reach out to us, you can do so through the Anchor app. Leave a message, voice your excitements, your questions, your what ifs, your concerns, all of it. House of the Dragon. I almost said House of the Undying. House of the Undying. House of the Dragon. About two years away. We don't even have an exact release date, but it's coming. That's all we need to know. I got a bit. I was got a bit. I was a little bummed. A little bummed. I was hoping mid 2021. We're still talking about it here, and we're still excited. Make no mistake. In fact, we're we're so excited. We've got a couple calls from you out there. You want to uh, leave a message here? Uh, Cast for the talk. Use the Anchor app. Real easy. Just call a couple presses of a button. You leave a message directly in the app, and I can press a play button like this and hear your voice. Hey, Ken. Alden here with a question about the House of the Dragon spinoff prequel. I'm wondering what kinds of things you think they'll add to the text. That way, both of these shows feel more connected for the show-only audience in the same way that Peter Jackson added Legolas to The Hobbit because he was alive at the time. It made some sense decision-wise, and execution aside, I think that it was a smart move in terms of just pure business and getting people engaged. So, do you think it's possible that the House of the Dragon show could add maybe Game of Thrones locations or maybe they'll add things like a character that can resurrect people through the Lord of Light or maybe even use prophecy to, you know, in some fun, low-key ways, reference the events of Game of Thrones way before they happen. Maybe one of these Targaryens has a vision or, or sees a prophecy in the flames or something of Daenerys Targaryen. So, what kinds of things do you think that they could do based on the book? Let me know what you think. Thanks. Thanks, Alden. That's a that's a great call. Big win of a call right there. Big win! Big win! Uh, hey, I'm in a weird sports mood right now, I guess. This is great. So, Alden mentioned the Hobbit trilogy, and that's not my favorite. I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, the trilogies there, all extended editions, all hour, every minute I can get my hands on. Not as much of The Hobbit. I'm going to give The Hobbit another rewatch very soon. I, I, I've made that determination because I've I've publicly crapped on The Hobbit movies. And that's – I did that in a different time in my life and career where I was a little more apt to do that. Now I, I don't enjoy doing that. I just don't think it's the right thing to put out there into the world too much. But the movies deserve some criticism. And then if you read the stories behind it, there's a great book about the making of Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson during that process. You know, there's – some things that happened, business decisions, time frames that weren't moved after the director switch, everything that just kind of not cursed, but it was destined. Those movies were destined to be not as good. But I, for all those things in those movies that I could point to as not liking and that many other people did point to as not liking, I never really had too much of a problem with the big nods to the first set of movies. To the story at large. Purists might be, and again, I'm not a book reader when it comes to Lord of the Rings. I'm not. Didn't grow up with them. Didn't read The Hobbit. I chose other books to read during school. You know, family didn't put them in my hands. I remember them. A close friend of mine loved The Hobbit. I didn't understand what it was. I was like, is that like Willow? Or, eh, not, not unlike Willow. Um, so I'm not completely, I don't know, maybe I'm just not the, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not the book snob is what I'm trying to say for these movies. But I liked the nods. It's the greater world at large. So Legolas, uh Saruman, uh you know, Galadriel, all of them coming back and, and locations that we know. That often gets 
turned, if you don't like it, you call it fan service or bad fan service happens in Star Wars. Some things you like. Ooh, I love that they reference that planet. That's a good use of lore. If you don't like it or you don't understand it, oh, bad fan service that the X-Wing pilot from the one movie that was there for a second, he's in this movie. How dare they? And I, I, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. So maybe that's where I'm coming from on it. So all that to say, that rambling preamble, House of the Dragon, it's not just a little prequel. It's its, its own world set in the world we already know. So locations are the easiest way to do it. And Alden, yeah, I want a lot of this. Do you need to add a ton of it? Do you need to, you know, bring Melisandre in? Maybe. I mean, I'd, I'd want to see that again, talking about Melisandre a lot on this episode. Give me more Melisandre. Give me Carice Van Houten. I'm all on board. Yeah, maybe she does show up. I think you can have some room to adapt the story a little bit. You've got to turn it into a workable story for television. So you're going to have some of those things. And you have to be aware. They are aware that a large large part of their audience are going to be people who are like, oh, cool, more Game of Thrones. Did you read the books? Nope. I don't know who Aegon the Six is or the Shave Paid or Arya Martell. I don't know any of that. I know what I saw on the show. So I'm going to turn on this, and I'm going to see dragons. I'm hearing names of houses that I'm familiar with, and I'm seeing things that I want. So little tiny things of characters that are or would be alive at the time. Legolas would have been alive at the time. Makes sense. Makes sense. Melisandre, I keep going to, but you could do it with other characters. Then, of course, just familiar locations. Luckily, all throughout, fire and blood. These kings and queens, these brothers and sister wives, they travel along. They caravan around the land. Some of it's actually really exciting. The meetings at all the houses and the cities and the villages. And they do all go up to the wall and they do help expand the reach and all those kind of things. There's, there's a lot of ways to do it. But beyond just references, could they find story point, points and add things uh, all in talking about, you know, maybe some kind of soothsayer, some kind of vision of a mad queen to come or the Targaryen line ending. I'm all there for that kind of stuff. That'd be pretty cool. In the height of all this, the Targaryens have conquered it all. They're roaming around this land in the height of all of this. Someone's like, oh, your line is going away. And we know maybe what that's a reference to. Your line is going to be down to one soul. We know what that's a reference to, but the characters don't. So when things starting to go crazy, when things start to go asunder, Targaryen civil wars, dragon upon dragon, people can be like, is this what they're talking about? Is this the prophecy? We must stop this. So there could be an underlying tension there. It's not unlike Ashton saying in his first call there, man, about, about Melisandre warning Danny of something that's to come and, and not being specific about it. It creates a little fun, a little tension in these fantasy series. So I like that idea, Alden. Other than that, I think, yep, you'll see a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. 
you're going to see the wall. You're going to need to see the wall. And for me, a fan of the Night's Watch, because yes, that's a thing. Ken, what house do you want to be a part of in Game of Thrones? I am taking the black. What? Cold weather, solitude, don't have to get involved with all the hoopla down below. I'm taking the black, kids. But I would be so excited. I will be so excited if the characters in House of the Dragon head up to the wall just to pass through. I don't need to be a storyline, but to see a fully functional, all 19 castles or whatever the amount of castles are for at that time, of course, it might change, just to see a fully functional Night's Watch. And I don't need anything else beyond it. I don't need, that would have been the other prequel series. I would have been excited to see that too. Still want that story. Would have loved seeing a fully functional Night's Watch dealing with some problems north of the wall. I don't need it in House of the, House of the Dragon. You just put, put me up there. Put me up there for an episode. Fly a dragon over it. Let me see 2,000 men of the Night's Watch. I'll get excited and I'll feel connected to the show and the world that I, that I love and loved. And it will just make it feel more robust and will connect. And then I'll go back to your new characters and stories. I'm fine with all that. Great call, Alden. What are your guys' answers? I want to hear. I'll play some calls in the coming weeks. Things you might want to see in the House of the Dragon that would connect it in big or small ways or fun, creative ways, winks and nudge, nods, nudge, nudge, you know what I mean, ways to the series that we all love. Final call of the day here is from our friend at uh, Mark at Mark Talk. You can follow Mark Talk here on Anchor. Mark, what do you got? Hello, Ken, and hello to everyone on the small council at Casterly Talk. It's your old pal Mark from Mark Talk Podcast here. I have a question for you. A little while ago, when the news started circulating that House of the Dragon was coming at us, we did an episode of Mark Talk, uh, myself and friend of the show, Sir Thomas the Tall, a.k.a. Thomas Rissling, and we discussed what we'd like to see in the show based on what we read in Fire and Blood. So I'm curious... What exactly, cinematically, do you want to see in House of the Dragon? Particular scenes or particular uh, story points? What is it you would like to see? I'd be very curious to know. Keep up the good work. Can't wait to keep listening to the show as it progresses. Thanks, Mark at Mark Talk. Had my mic off there. Uh, This is a great question, and I know we're going to come back to this one. I know I'm going to want... Ace and Rachel and Lawn to talk about this and other guests coming on the show. Bring Michelle Boyd on here. We'll talk about this. I want to hear what you guys want to hear. If you've read Fire and Blood, what do you want to see in it? One of the problems in adapting this book is it is a history book. There's a lot of, and then the king rode here and they talked to this person here and then there was an uprising here and all that kind of stuff. But since the series is going to focus, it seems, from what we've heard, we don't know too much yet. I get that, and that could change. We got a little bit, little bit of the Dance of the Dragons in it, a little bit of Dance of Dragons, a little bit of the Targaryen Civil War. You're going to see a lot of things in that there. There is a lot of dragon-on-dragon dragon action. Brutal. Sad. I want to see that. But there's the one scene where um, the common folk... Um, Excuse me for not having some of the details and names locked down right now in my brain. But they, the common folk, they um, put down their bowls of brown and they, you know, there's a real revolution. And they're all choosing either a Targaryen queen or a Targaryen king. 
where they all charge the dragon pits. And they all charge um, the dragons in the dragon's pit, dragon pits. And it becomes no longer at that point about Targaryen versus Targaryen or king and, or, or queen versus subjects. It becomes dragon versus these rioters, these protesters, these 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 angry people, some of them having the anger be very justified. And some some of some of it, some of it, I'm not excusing it here, but some of it just this let's go burn and kill the dragons because they're a symbol of what's been burning and killing us. Symbol of our oppression. So you're like, okay, 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 okay. But then they get there and I found as I read it, so you read the scene and like you're you're breathing your tensions in your chest and you're like, and I'm rooting for the dragons. I am rooting for the dragons to just burn these people. It's kind of like you're watching Danny look at the heart of King's Landing, look at the at the Red Keep, and you're like, oh oh, you're like Tyrion. Oh oh, Danny, don't do it. Danny, don't do it. And there's a voice in your head, do it. Burn them all, Danny. Because you want to see it. You can do studies about who we are as a people later on. So I'm reading that in the book, and I'm like, burn them. And then these dragons are chained down. And I'm like, and then some of them get some shots in, and it's just all brutal. And the, and the people, uh, and I'm just like, the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, I kind of don't know who to root for here. But I think I'm going dragons all the way. You put that scene on television with a nice budget and some great actors and some special effects. We're talking season six, you know, five, six, seven, eight level game of Thrones stuff. We all know the first season stuff was great, but you know, watchers on the wall season four got it, but like, you know, the budget started getting big and some Pochnik shows up and it's just, just great stuff. You may hate season eight, but come on, look at some of the stuff in season eight. You put that all roll that into the scene where the, the common folk are uh, <laughs> are taking over, trying to take over uh, the dragon pit, trying to kill the dragons. I'm there for that. I'm there for that. That's the kind of stuff I want. So, Mark, that's a great question. That is a great question. We're going to have a lot more of this. We're going to have a lot more of this. When I say we're going to get ready for House of the Dragon, don't worry about time. We're here about... Our excitement, we're going to let the joy and the anticipation of this wash all over us. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Always love talking to you all here at Casterly Talk. You can follow me at Ken Napsock. If you want to support me on Patreon, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash Ken Napsock. I got the Napsock files, the afternoons of Josh and Ken Force Center. A lot of other things. I'm back on the radio. 107.5 WLDJ. That's right. In Newcastle, Pennsylvania. I'm doing a shift every Saturday morning, but you can listen on the TuneIn app. Just look for Hall of Fame Music Radio. Spinning tunes. I am the morning DJ. Mom, no, just one day a week. I also got my book, Why We Love Star Wars. It's out there. It's also available in German if you'd like to check out that. All right. I'm out of here. We got a lot to get ready for. A lot to think about. Dragon on dragon action. Hey, and if you got a thought, about this episode. Any questions we posed? Got a thought about what scene or character or thing you'd like to see in House of the of the Dragon that would tie to the show we love and know? Let uh, let me know. Call in. All right. 
intense just singing about those dragons. You get gruesome. All right, see you next time. This is Casterly Talk. <laughs>